0: hi and welcome to get your damn flu shot a podcast exploring the most pertinent topics in public health today we're your hosts gianna muslimas and i'm diana rubin our mission is to close the gap between public health and the public one listener at a time
1: Ethan Lindenberger is an American activist noted as our generation's most important pro-vaccine advocate. He grew up in an anti-vaccine household, and after his story went viral, which I'm going to let Ethan share with us, he became the center of the anti-vax pro-science debate. Since, he has given a TED Talk on the dangers of misinformation and testified during a U.S. Senate committee hearing on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. He has a Hulu special live now called Anti-Vax Fever on Vice Investigates. And with the arrival of COVID-19, you can imagine just how relevant Ethan and his mission are and the implications that a COVID vaccine has on the future of this debate. So with that, Ethan, if you could start with your story and how you went from a normal Ohio teen to speaking in front of the US Senate.
2: Absolutely. And you know, thank you for, you know, speaking to me and having this opportunity because I'm always more than excited to be able to share that my story, and also what that means for everyone else. Um, because my story really is very simple. It's about a young person, a teenager, a high schooler, who was given a really big opportunity because of a very simple decision, which was to get immunized. That's a decision that anyone can make if they're of age. So it was just a personal decision. That's all it was, just me deciding that I needed to take my own health with my own hands. And that's how it started. My mom is an anti-vaxxer. She believes that vaccines cause autism and are very dangerous. And so I grew up my entire life without receiving any immunizations. I flash forward to my senior year of high school. I'm 18. I have that decision in front of me. I had to say, you know what? I need to get immunized, even though my mom disagrees. But that doesn't mean she's a bad person. So we had those discussions. I told her I was making that decision because she was definitely incorrect, but I thought she was just misinformed. And that discussion became the foundation for a much larger platform that grew very quickly after that. Within the coming months after that decision to get vaccinated, Through sharing my story on Reddit, asking for advice on the internet, and then doing interviews with live television and radio and all sorts of media outlets. Eventually, that led to that Senate testimony. And the entire ride there, ever since the inception of that story, even till now, the messaging has been very clear, which is that immunizations are extremely important. They are safe and they are effective. They are the number one way to prevent these diseases that we can immunize against. And the people that believe that vaccines are dangerous and the misinformed groups of minorities and and, and these misinformed minorities, people that believe that um, vaccinations are dangerous, those people are not bad people. They are misinformed. They have been victims of much larger campaigns of misinformation, kind of from the top down. People like my mom are not perpetrators. They are simply victims. That was a message of empathy. It was a message that was not accusatory. I really like it was- how you, Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a message that said that people were at all malicious in their intentions. And that was something that the medical community was really missing at the time. The consequence of these decisions is tied to the intention sometimes. The consequence of not immunizing is very dangerous, so the intention is very dangerous. But that's not really the case. A lot of these people believe they're uh, choosing not to immunize because of serious health concerns and information they've received that says that vaccines are toxic or that they cause autism or that they can seriously maim or even kill their children. And people that are responsible parents don't want any of that stuff to happen to their children, and so it makes sense. And that was something that was, in a really sad way, was new to a lot of people. And coming from a young person who is speaking to my own generation of young people, it resonated even further. And so I've had a great opportunity because of that advocacy to show that young people can really make a difference in any issue. I was featured in Time Magazine's Next Generation Leaders from 2018 and that was because of that that presence in this community of younger individuals. Mm-hmm. And so it's just been a really cool experience overall.
0: I love the approach that you have taken and I think that there's a lot to learn from it about empathy saying that these anti-vaxxers are victims to misinformation. What an amazing time to not only advocate for our healthcare infrastructure, but also vaccines. And, you know, New York Times just came out the other day with an article saying that while everyone's working day and night to get the vaccine, how do we make sure people even get it? So, you know, arguably our role's all of us here, as advocates for public health and for and for vaccination, arguably our role is just as important as the pharmaceutical companies, as the scientists, as the government. So we're so excited that you're here um, to talk to us.
2: Everyone has a role to play in advocating for medicine at large, not just immunizations, but like you talked about the COVID. And so this COVID nineteen has become a turning point for people in their perspectives of public health to personal health now because of COVID-19, people have to start understanding and thinking and um, researching. And so it's a really good time for people like us to start speaking to those individuals.
0: I wanted to ask you, um, I know one of your biggest messages was saying that data doesn't resonate with people, that people resonate with people. And I think as we're we're seeing it in the arrival of COVID-19 that this data unfortunately just isn't resonating. I would love for you to speak a little bit about how you think we can, as advocates, Get this accurate scientific sterile data pushed out into the world to overshadow, hopefully, these anecdotal stories that have personal ties to them that can easily persuade people to develop the wrong opinions.
2: Yeah. So, one of the things that really caused me to land on that statement, which was data does not resonate with people, that people resonate with people, was kind of a introspection into why inaccurate information is so effective. And the biggest reason is that it uses stories as the way to spread their messaging. And, you know, I'm someone who loves stories. If you look at anything between movies and books, from that all the way to religion, everything passes through in the lens of stories. And the one area that that's not really being used at all is medicine. And so I saw how when you compare the way that information is being spread and utilize, you would see on, especially social media, there'd be a CDC post that was white and blue, that was boring and had no mm-hmm, engaging yeah. topics. Exactly. And it said like, here's the latest data on, you know, measles, mumps, and then right below it would be information that's completely false, but it would be a video. It'd be someone having a seizure or what people would claim to be someone that has autism because of a vaccine they got. And those right. videos had large, big headers that say, you know, if you vaccine your children, you're a bad mom, And that spread like wildfire. And so you saw very clearly why this information wasn't reaching people in that initial accurate camp, which the CDC was spreading. Everyone knows the CDC, everyone trusts the CDC. Mm
1: -hmm. But then you
2: have this information from a random mom in California who has a child that was never damaged from vaccines. This is just a misdiagnosis. And information that has been falsely spread for the past 30 years, that's not reaching triple the size of, of an audience.
0: And it pulls on that kind of like human emotional side to right. us And, all, and that the stories that are ineffectively
2: told don't go anywhere like that. And it's an effective story. And so the, the biggest way to counteract that is just to fight fire with fire and to understand that that's not a bad thing like COVID-19. The anecdotes that aren't being shared that no one hears about are the healthy young people that get very, very sick that do not recover, where if they do, they have mm-hmm. massive, massive damage. And mm-hmm. you look at also the rates of transmission you look at beaches in Florida that flood and people get COVID-19 and everyone goes, okay, well, duh, don't go to a huge beach. I'm just going to hang out with my friends. You know, you need to really hit on what's the really important piece. It's like right. those beaches are just totally. one piece of story. It's like, it's a it's an encapsulating image to think people are going to a beach during a pandemic, but that's not the, the real damage being done. That's not the real threat. It's the people just going out, hanging out with 10 groups of people or their family in a big gathering and so those are the stories that can be told. Accurate information. Right. Told. It's a- and
0: it's like, even if the anecdote re- says, you know, revolves around, I had COVID. It's not that bad. It was, right. I, I've been much more sick. The truth is, we actually don't know what that did to your lungs. We don't right. know what that did to your brain. That will take years to uncover. Right. I think the biggest question is to understand how Gianna and I and others can fight fire with fire and tell science in an anecdotal way, perhaps. I think that the way you have approached speaking to these people empathically is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to talk to younger people about these yeah. kinds of issues. I know you said on, in your TED Talk, like, why me? Like, why am I talking about this, of all people? Yeah. You know, I'm not a scientist. And, and I think Gianna and I can completely relate to that. But at the end of the day, it's like, like if not you, then who? Right. And, you know, while this shouldn't be a debate, it seems to be still a very controversial thing that needs discussion. Right. So we're really, really, that's my very long winded way of saying I'm very <laughs> happy you're here. <laughs>
2: well, thank you. And, and I would say that just a few quick things on that. I think that a lot of people can't relate to a large media exposure or responsibility or even just a responsibility to a lot of these issues with you guys trying to advocate and coming into the world of immunizations. And with me with, you know, this advocacy that deals with media and a lot of like public relations and stuff like that, a lot of people can't relate to that. What they can relate to is the personal dynamics at play. You know, my mom believed that vaccines were dangerous. My mom was misinformed. A lot of people have family members that say that masks are ineffective or that, you know, COVID-19 is caused by like 5G towers. Like really... Silly stuff to a lot of people, but a lot of people can relate to having those people close to them that might be making very dangerous medical decisions. And that's why it's really important to talk about how to approach that. It's not because of the interviews or like testimonies or like some of the bigger stuff. It's because, hey, like I was in that situation where my mom believed something that was not true and was medically dangerous. And here's how I dealt with that. And at the end of the day, that's what's so important is how do you handle those relationships? How do you handle those discussions with people that you love and you're close to while trying to maintain what's true.
1: Right. So with a COVID vaccine on the horizon, there's a big concern with a bunch of scientists putting all this money and time and developing a vaccine yeah. and then no one takes it or not enough people take it for it to actually mm-hmm. have you know, some intended effects on our population. So what would you say to anyone who's kind of questioning the validity of vaccines right now. Like, do you have any advice or best practices that you've learned over the last two years when you're engaging in these conversations?
2: Yeah, um, engaging with conversations with people that are hesitant or they refuse vaccines entirely is very, very tricky because, in essence, you're talking to people that have been very misinformed and misinformed in the way it's very smart because you know people that are medically informed they use sources such as the CDC, the WHO, Institute of Medicine, peer-reviewed studies all this stuff we've all heard of. And the communities that try and misinform these people will tell them that those sources of information are illegitimate, that they are malicious, that they are suppressing information, they're lying. And so those discussions about what accurate information even is becomes a large part of that discussion, which is really hard to manage because how do you convince someone to agree with you when they think that the sources of what you believe are completely negligible? Because then you're just trying to tell them that, yes, like the CBC is not full of crooked and uh, corrupt people. They're full of like scientists and doctors and researchers that legitimately are doing really good studies. And it's not even about, you know, the arguments anymore. It's about what accurate it even is. So sometimes you need to balance that with who you're talking to. And I would say very clearly there's two groups that you can talk to. There's people that uh, refuse vaccines entirely that you would classify as anti-vaccine and they have become... Real, really large victims of that misinformation. But then there's the hesitant community, which is much larger and that can encompass kind a lot of different sitters. Yeah, those fence sitters, those people that are questioning, they're not sure, they might skip or delay vaccines, but not entirely refuse getting any immunizations. And they might believe some immunizations are more dangerous than others. And those are the communities that are much more easily swayed and spoken to and even just convinced mm-hmm. that, that they don't need to have such hesitancy. That they can really immunize confidently without any concerns, and those are the people that have those discussions with. My mom fell into the first category of anti-vaccine, and I say that you choose those discussions carefully because you know after almost two years of advocating in the largest way I could and having the most vocal support like worldwide,
0: has she changed her view?
2: No, no. That's the thing wow. is that I've, I've spoken to people all the way from doctors in my hometown to the Surgeon General of the United States, and. After all of those conversations, after all of that exposure, after still believing what I believe, she still thinks that vaccines are extremely dangerous. She still believes that they are uh, completely uh, toxic and still has not immunized some of my younger siblings.
0: I know that there was a study done just exploring the different communities and Facebook during the 2019 measles outbreak. And I think that they mentioned that all of the anti-vax conversations going on in Facebook had... Three or four times more, just action around, yeah. yeah, attention than pro-vaccine during the time of yeah. a, a infectious disease outbreak. Right. So, you know, how do we make sure that doesn't happen with COVID? And are these mm-hmm. um, are these people like your mom? Do you bucket them in a lost cause category?
2: So that's one of the most challenging things you can kind of work through with discussions about medicine and personal decision making. Because you can really understand why my mom believes these things past just the arguments that have reached her. She is a single mother and mothers in general are the healthcare decision makers of their families. They do the research. They are the ones educating themselves and making those decisions for their children. And she is undereducated. She did not go to college. So she didn't have a larger education, especially in science. And you know, she's in her 40s. So when she was you know younger and when she was a mom, because she was a younger mom, she didn't have you know a lot of the accessible information that we have and she was exposed to misinformation that was targeted towards people like her mothers that had been undereducated that didn't have a good grasp on science because they're targeted due to their empathy and their love and their care for their children and a lot of the arguments and misinformation is saying you know your children are going to die your children are going to get sick you're a bad mom if you vaccinate and so it makes sense why she believes those things now the hard part is can that change and i would say maybe but It's going to take a very long time and I cannot change that. She needs to change that. Something needs to happen in her life. Oftentimes, these people that are so misinformed like her only change their perception once something very dangerous happens to someone around them. Their kids themselves, they get sick. And you don't want that to happen, but that's the reality of it because it's a shell shock to a world that they have dug themselves into. And the hesitant community, the much larger community, and the much more dangerous community that can actually change their minds are the ones to target. Because if it's a larger community say 30 40% that are hesitant, that might skip really some vaccines. That is much more concerning than less than 10% of people refusing all vaccines because you still can have herd immunity present if that larger majority changes their minds. And it's also easier because they haven't been exposed to all of that misinformation. And so it might not be a lost cause, but it's not the priority. The priority is convincing the majority yeah. of people that vaccines are safe and effective and getting them immunized. And for people like her, it makes sense why she believe those things. And so the second part of that is to limit misinformation and limit it from reaching people like her. And so that comes down to social media. It comes down to legislation and trying to cause less people like her to believe those things. Because if they aren't exposed to that misinformation, they're much less likely to believe it. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the kind of answer there. It, it's not as simple as like, she's a lost cause. And it's not as simple as she'll change her mind. But it is very simple that there's other people that definitely could change their minds a lot easier.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, you know, do you see yourself entering this COVID space now? Like, I mean, you must write that article that anti-vax campaigners are all, you know, they're revving up for this fight now against yeah. the COVID vaccine. And do you have any exposure into that world yet? Or do you see yourself entering it?
2: So one of the biggest things i've been working with is that a lot of legislators um, even up to the level of the president himself were informed that a lot of the people that would oppose covid-19 shutdowns and legislation and practices and, and and guidelines the people that would oppose those things would be the communities that don't vaccinate and a lot of the misinformation around covid-19 would center from the same sources because genuinely a lot of people are inf- are misinformed by communities that are Trying to misinform individuals through their own gain and favor. Financially, it's very beneficial to misinform a large group of people that you are the only source of information. That way, you can sell them supplements, um, alternative medicine, books. And for COVID 19, it's just a new opportunity for the lives of people. It's not, you know, they're not going to say, hey, vaccines are dangerous, Mm -hmm. but make sure to wear your mask. It's going to be continued misinformation. And so, my presence in the world of misinformation and trying to help with policy on social media legislation or just overall educating people about the dangers of misinformation is still the same because the same sources and COVID-19 in itself with the same people that choose not to vaccinate opposing COVID-19 guidelines and shutdowns and even the uh, potential immunizations it's the same camp right. for me So It's
1: not a new that. fight. It's just a no. new opportunity. As you exactly,
2: said, yeah. And and for COVID nineteen, a totally. lot of people weren't concerned about immunizations. You know, a lot of people got most, if not all, their immunizations, and now this disease has reached our doorsteps. So they go, "Oh, like this is crazy. What can I do?" And all these people that are saying that COVID nineteen is caused by five G towers, all these people that are saying that masks are effective, they're they're they don't they they do not they do not know what they're talking about. And it's crazy because those people that that dismiss the misinformation coming from this new source apparently to them, that's been going on. It's it's been happening. And so for the majority of people, they see this misinformation, they they brush it off and they go, that's silly. But for me, it's like, it's the same exact thing. And so I'm still trying to fight that fight. And luckily, most people are trying to take this seriously. But the problem is it's, it's a waning concern. So It's not just the misinformation that I've been trying to deal with. A lot of it has also been the growing concern that people will stop taking precautions as COVID-19 continues to develop. So second waves of the disease and people reopening too early in their states. And so talking to legislators, talking to uh, nonprofits I work with about what to do and how to manage that has been a really big concern. So it's still a really, really big issue for a lot of different ways.
0: I want to ask you, and I just kind of was thinking um, about this as I hear you talk. My first question was: Do your little brothers see the work you're doing and want to be vaccinated, but they just can't be?
2: So, I have a very big family, so it's a kind of a weird, weird scenario. My older brother is in his twenties; he is a college student, and he got immunized because of the college requirements that came up the year um, after my advocacy. So I did the interviews, did the testimony, did the Ted talk, did all that stuff. And that year when he went back to school, he said, Oh, like now that I've been exposed to this and now I can make the decision to advocate as well. And he got his immunizations. My younger brother who is um, 18 now, he did the same thing, but it took a while because he was caught in the Mm -hmm. middle of a really big back and forth between my mom and myself, because once the, the issue took off and I was advocating. My, my mom did a lot of interviews, even with large news outlets about how she disagreed with me. There was even one where when I went to my testimony, there was an interview she did with our, our local Fox station where she was like, Ethan does not know what he's talking about. I do not know why he's going to testify about any of this. And she was very, very opposed. And she saw almost like a threat to the rest of her children and their health and safety once I started to advocate. And wow. my, my younger brother, who's 18 now, he was 17 at the time. He was he couldn't make a the decision then, but he was really trying to educate himself. And all I said was, hey, you're smart, Noah. Just do your research. And when you become 18, it's your choice. But if you want to do it sooner, talk to our dad because mm-hmm. my parents are divorced and, mm-hmm. and he could sign off on that. But I will not yeah. tell you or ask you to do that. I'm saying you have options. And you have choices yeah. you can make. And my mom was saying like, hey, if you get vaccinated, you're going to die. And he was like, okay, this is two different things going on here. Oh my like, gosh, one I is,
0: can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. so,
2: so one, psychology was an opportunity. Yeah, one was an opportunity to make a decision. One was a very forceful kind of uh, ultimatum. Either you, you survive or you die. And he saw the research. He saw the way that those arguments were proposed to him. And he also saw how I treated my mom. And now mm-hmm. I, I personally feel like this is the biggest thing. And this is one of the things that he even told me was that my mom was a little mean about my advocacy and a little kind of um, rude in certain ways because she was very desperate to make sure that her children did not get immunized. And she was very scared. And that can lead to a lot of mistakes when you're desperate and scared. And she did everything she could to keep me from going. She did everything she could to convince me that what I was doing was wrong. And she even went as far as to believe and tell herself that third parties and larger organizations like Big Pharma and the government were cons- were cons- Trying Inspiring to with get me you? to yeah, yeah they were conspiring with me they were trying to kind of puppeteer the whole show and get yeah. me to advocate and testify and i just said that she was wrong but that she's a good mom and i said that she was uh, good in her intentions that she was not a bad person she was misinformed and for noah who was caught in the middle of this family issue he saw one person advocating in an empathetic way and the other that was really desperate and Mm-hmm. went to extremes that were a little uh, wrong and that led to him choosing to get immunized mm-hmm. and he even said like he was really sorry for how I was being treated and that what I was doing was right he didn't yeah. agree with I I'm
0: just so impressed and I'm sure you've heard this a million times just with your bravery and maturity at such a young age I mean I know for me like being 25 it's still hard to disagree with my parents and you know yeah. and so that That's incredible. I think that Gianna and I have, you know, watched a lot of these anti-vax interviews and and we've studied this both like personally and within our school of public health. And one common argument that I keep, that I kept hearing was, the measles doesn't exist anymore. Polio doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. These diseases have been eradicated, and of course, this was before 2019 when we had the measles outbreak. But they were basically saying they don't they don't need that particular vaccine anymore. They don't need this because because we've never been exposed to an infectious right.
1: disease. I want
0: because wonder, we've benefited
1: I, from vaccines, you know. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I wonder and I hope that with the arrival of COVID-19 that a silver lining here could be that infectious diseases are real. They're very, very dangerous. And the only way to eliminate them is through vaccination.
2: Right. And one of the really interesting things with that thought right there is that um, vaccines are a victim to their own efficiency and that because of the fact they're so efficient and they wipe diseases off the map and they push them away so dramatically people forget. And exactly. one of one of the first interviews I ever did when I started advocating and I started to get any presence was with my hometown of Norwalk, which is a really small town. And they had our local paper asked me to come in and the guy who runs the paper was in his like seventies. He was an older guy. And he looked at me and he was like, Hey, I remember polio. My neighbor died from polio and people forget that. And mm-hmm. he was like, I really appreciate what you're doing. And it was really striking to me because I, I thought to myself, like, I've never heard of someone mm-hmm. I know experiencing that. Like, I've never been exposed to polio. I don't even know much about it, like, in terms of, like, people around me. Like, I, I had that exposure. Like, I, I've heard of polio. I've heard mm-hmm. of, like, the polio, right. like, outbreaks and the, the vaccines. But someone near me dying, like my neighbor, like, that would be crazy. And he's like, oh, yeah, like another friend of mine was an iron lung for like a full year and then he died. And I'm just like, dang, that's crazy. That would be so impactful. Like I would become a vaccine advocate if I had a friend who was stuck in a big tube for the rest of his life and then he died prematurely. Mm -hmm. Like that would be terrifying. And people now with COVID-19 might see that. They might. But the danger is misinformation convincing them that that's not happening. And so we are in a different Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're in a different culture because back then they didn't have the assets of the internet to spread misinformation. Your message only traveled as far as your voice or as far as your publication. And right. now you have the ability to get on Facebook, make an anonymous account, make a video, post it, and it spreads everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we're in a very different setting for public health and advocacy and even just educating people through what they're seeing right in front of them. And. One of the also big things is financially the damage these diseases cause. Right. And polio caused a lot of damage financially. Measles caused a lot of damage financially. COVID-19 shut down the entire world and people might still not get immunizations after this is over. And we see that one of the biggest ways we can convince, especially legislators, is to say, hey, COVID-19 caused you a lot of problems for your for your office, for your state, and it was really financially devastating. MMR could do the same thing. Like, you know, yeah. uh, these diseases could do the same exact thing. And we have immunizations right in front of us that we can use. So are you going to make the decision to stand up for those immunizations and, and, and advocate for them and, and spread that information and get it out there? Or are you going to continue to be negligent of that because you're scared of these smaller communities and cause further damage? So it's not just about lives, um, it's also about financially. Yeah. It causes huge devastation. We're seeing that right now. So I, I, the, I would just hope that people see COVID-19 and decide, like, after, you know, a year from now getting their, their coronavirus shot, they say, hey, like, there's 15 others I haven't got yet. Like, maybe I should make that better. And that's really a community that a lot of people are trying to reach.
0: Yeah. God, this is so interesting. We might have to have you on here for a second. Yeah, we do have Pick one last up. question
1: for you, Ethan. Oh, right, it right, is right, our okay. favorite one that we like yes, to um, yes. end all, our, all of our interviews with. But what has been your favorite snack during quarantine?
2: Oh man, favorite snacks. So I have been trying to make uh, homemade food, like cooking myself because I have never been a cook. And one of my favorite things I've been making is homemade Taco Bell and you can do it in a million different ways. And re- uh, Oh my gosh, it's great. <laughs> so I, I even have made my own like steak quesadillas and like Yum. my own nacho, my girlfriend made her our own homemade nacho fries. And like, that's even better to so even have those anymore. So that's been like top tier. I mean, not even just during quarantine like just overall experience. You're our
1: first, you're our first quarantine chef. Everyone else has been pizza, you know, pizza. Yeah. It's,
2: it's too expensive. You got you gotta take the time you have now to learn a new skill. Like totally. that's absolutely what else. That's what we decided do? to do.
0: We've never podcasted in our lives. So, hey,
2: so there <laughs> you go We're all trying something
0: new. I love it. Well, it was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited to see how this turns out. And um, most importantly, for our audience to, to hear your message. So we really appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks for listening to Get Your Damn Flu Shot. So this is the part where I tell you all to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. You can find us on all major host platforms like iTunes and Spotify. But really, what we ask of you in a time like this, we need your help. The world needs your help to get the word out there. So don't just listen. Share with your family, your friends, and your pets. Send them a link so we can all stay connected. Email us at gydfspodcast at gmail.com to join the conversation. And uh, remember to get your damn flu shots.